Uh, as you said, he's got an injury history before. He's not like a a bruising guy, which I remember the the first uh, the first game they played with him in the lineup. We were walking by the rafters, and there was this one Bruins fan. It was right after they won, and he was arguing with his friend. And one of his friends like. Oh, uh, yeah, you know, Hamp- this new guy they got, I heard about him. He's a fucking bruiser. And I'm like, <laughs> uh, I don't think so. And the other they guy was came like. from the West Coast. They're like, yeah, it's hot. Yeah. <laughs> and, then the, and then the other guy countered by being like, I didn't even notice him. Which, like, he was great in that first game. So I, like, love that interaction. Right there, I love yeah, it. I love that interaction just being so pissed. I like both of them. Like, yeah. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Brews and Bruids podcast. Uh, it's episode, I think, 55 of season three. If I'm wrong, no I really don't care. Um, we are presented by the Hockey Podcast Network. Or actually, no, we are the Hockey Podcast Network podcast, actually, believe it or not. Uh, we are presented by Pride Diehards, uh, Bruins Diehards, Once in a Blue Moon, uh, and, of course, DraftKings. I am Drew Johnson. I am here with Cam Hasbrook and Chris Gear as usual. But we also have Connor Ryan and Kat Silverman in the building. Uh, how are y'all doing? Doing pretty good. I think we're still presented by the Hockey Podcast Network. I think that would still be correct termage. But no, we're a, we're a the Hockey Podcast Network podcast presented presented by, by Pride Diehard. Pri- that's official. We we made the switch. We're just oh, like I, presented I by Pride Diehard. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Okay, <laughs> I'm cool with that. I'm doing well though. Great. Yeah, what are we drinking? Anybody else? <laughs> I'm doing splendid too. Yeah. Good to be back. Good to be back. Good to have you back. I'll take uh, it. Uh, I got a Lone River Ranch Water original hard seltzer made with 100% agave and natural lime juice, 80 calories, 4% alcohol, roots in far west Texas. This is what we had. Surprisingly, not super passing the Drew test, but it does pass the Drew test. Yeah, I would have thought this would be like the easiest pass of all time. Yeah, it's a little cloudy. Wow. I can looks barely like a, see you through it. Looks like wow. a liquid IV. Mm-hmm. There's like some light refraction going on there for sure. Yeah, uh, tasteability. It's tasteable. It's got the it's got the lime flavor to it. Um, it's it's light, but it's I'd say it's more flavorful than most hard seltzers. Uh, drinkability. Uh, it's like uh, 25 drinkability, and then. We'll give it 15 taste belly. Nice. Uh, I'll keep it on uh, on track there. I guess I have a, a lime beverage as well. It's mid 50 degrees here in Portland, Maine right now, so it's feeling like summer. Woo! Uh, you southwestern people can keep your mouth shut. So uh, I decided to stop by uh, one of my favorite locations if you're in like Portland or around the southern Maine area. In Portland, there's a beverage mark called the Beer Cellar, like yes. B-I-E-R, which yes, is like the yes. German spelling, I think. Um, they have a lot of local stuff, but they've got a lot of cool imports too that are kind of like German, Dutch, that sort of vibe. Um, we've got some really cool shit. I did stay local today. I've got a laggy pop uh, from, I don't even know what the brewery is actually. Something in Portland here. Uh, it's a collab with High Roller Lobster Company, um, which is a great place to get lobster if you're ever in the area. They, I feel like they should put their oh, Proclamation Ale Company in Rhode Island. Wow. Shout out Pat. 
and for some reason they're collabing with a small lobster shack in in Maine. But I'll take it. <laughs> I guess it's not a shack. It's like a pretty well known restaurant, I guess. But very expensive, um, but worth it if you. Yeah. Especially if you've never had a lobster roll before. Like if you're if you're yeah, we do them cold in the area. Then... Gotta do them cold. Yeah, cold. Yeah. I'm gonna be honest. Uh, anyway, I the warm ones. Really? I'm more of a cold. Yeah. I like warm for All right, like, and crab Chris cakes, is no longer but... on the podcast. Uh, Connor, you mind just taking over this <laughs> <laughs> from here on out? <laughs> uh, anyway, this is an American lager with sea salt and lime. Um, pretty light on the kind of Kolsche style. Uh, I don't think it passes the Drew test. It's pretty hazy for how light of a beer it is. Um, Flavor-wise, it's definitely really subtle. Um, it's almost like a it's, it's very citrusy from the lime. Uh, not too salty as you'd get with some of these, but um, yeah, nothing jumping out flavor-wise. It feels like a great beer to have at like the beach. It would just like keep going down. Drinkability, like a 35. Uh, tasteability, probably like a 13, but it's like a pleasant 13. It's, it's refreshing and definitely not overpowering. I feel like sometimes the saltier beers can get like a little too much when you get like halfway through. I feel like this is a nice medium where it stays pretty refreshing throughout the the whole sip so uh yeah good stuff well you drew you next or my my next in line uh go for it all right so i got uh something from vitamin c Bruin in weymouth oh. massachusetts charlie charlie coil territory wow. it is uh called pacific vibrations and apparently it's their take on a west coast ipa um Hell i usually yeah. don't like i usually don't like west coast ipas um but it's actually Ooh. surprisingly <laughs> i don't know sorry it's surprisingly uh actually pretty crisp um i would say i would have a drew test however my dishwasher is broken and i have like no glasses so yeah. alas but in terms of tasteability drinkability go with like the zidano chara threshold i'll go 33 on both because actually surprisingly it's not not light but it you know it's it's pretty drinkable for like a, a west coast at least a take on it West Coast IPA, so give it a thumbs up. What do you guys think is more drinkable, East Coast or, or like New England or, or West Coast IPAs? Oh, it's East Coast by a mile. Yeah, yeah. Like East New, Coast. New England New England IPAs aren't they don't usually have that bitter punch. All right, no, that no, bitter yeah. punch, <laughs> which is the name of an album, probably in this episode. Definitely. No, that's going to be the uh, Brews and Bruins West Coast IPA bitter punch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I like it. It's gonna have to worth like five, like work in some hockey there, like bitter sucker yeah. punch or something like that. The Taylor <laughs> Hall special. Cat, <laughs> yeah, what you got? Um, almost the same thing Chris has because it's like you said, all we had. Um, we flew in last night, so we had no time to pick anything up. So I have the Lone River Ranch Water Prickly Pear Hard Seltzer. Can't speak. It's a Hundred percent agave, natural lime and prickly pear juice. Uh, also four percent alcohol. Also roots in far west Texas. Um, I think I had this one the last time I came on. No recollection of what it tastes like. Still don't know what prickly pear tastes like, to be honest. Yeah, so far more drinkable to me than a lot of the seltzers. Tastes a little better. Um, not quite as carbony. Not quite as carbonated. Um, I'd give it drinkability like a thirty-one. Um, this is go down pretty fast. Um, tasteability, I'd put it at like a solid 10 because I guess I can tell that it's not the same as the regular ranch water, but not by all that much. I just did the taste 
swap it. Yeah, there's a little there's subtle, subtle difference. difference. I still couldn't tell you what the prickly pear flavor is. <laughs> you can't tell that it's prickly. No, it it's just, like a pear. It just tastes pickles. slightly different. No? No. <laughs> <laughs> We're having a great time over here today. Yeah, very normal. Awesome. Um, let's see. Last but not least, I have a woodchuck hard cider. Oh. A woodchuck hard cider. <laughs> um, it's an amber sweet red apple. Um, and I've had this on the podcast before, but I'm just seeing now they claim to be the original American hard cider. Um, so I'll have to huh. That's a big claim. Check That's that. a big claim. Yeah. Huge claim. Um, and 5%. Like wrong claim. 5% gluten free. Hell yeah. Uh, made in Vermont. Wait, five percent alcohol or five percent gluten free? Five percent gluten free. Five percent gluten free. Um and made in Vermont. Uh tasteability. You can taste it. It's definitely it's a it's a really sweet sugary cider, which is good for the first one or two, and then after that I wouldn't recommend having more. So taste that's what that's what it tastes seven. like when they pack the apples with that much gluten. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yep. It's like 5%. <laughs> Even 95% for less than it's yeah. only 5% gluten free. Um, yeah, so drinkability, uh, well, tasteability 37 because of that, that sweetness. Drinkability, the first one is 30 drinkability. Uh, the second one you have is 23 drinkability. And then after that, it's about uh, about a five. That's fair. <laughs> Go down the scale. We should do that from now on, uh, based on what <laughs> like re rate them after yeah. <laughs> do uh, rusty rates beers. Oh my god! Um, <laughs> I like it. It'll so... get you where you want to go. Birds aren't real. Um. So next up, <laughs> next up, as if we have segments other than being done with here. Um. So me, uh, Chris, and Cam have kind of talked to uh, about it at length at this point. Uh, but Connor and Cat. Well, Connor, we haven't had you on in a pretty damn long time. Cat, I don't think we've had you on since trade deadline. Or I, I've... That was like two weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so no. To be um, fair, there's been some forever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so she I want to get the Chanel episode. I think that was the <laughs> yeah. That was the last time I was on. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, so yeah, I want to get y'all's thoughts on the trade deadline I, and this team now after it. I mean, Cam and Chris, if you have anything new, sure, but I think we've, <laughs> we've no, we about yelled it about it enough. Well, I kind yeah, of wanted to. I, I want to add like an extra. I want to like because we've we've kind of talked to like a, a fair amount with both of you about the team prior to the deadline. I want to add in like post deadline analysis. How do you think the like floor versus ceiling has changed for the Bruins? Because at the end of the day, that's kind of what what matters right so i'm kind of curious whether you think the moves they've made at the deadline have had you know any significant impact on those connor go for it i don't know yeah sure <laughs> okay yeah. i'll be happy to uh yeah no i think when you look at the deadline it felt like as soon as it went past three o'clock that there were a lot of people who were upset there wasn't like another shooter drop which you had the Lindholm trade and people were expecting all right you have a little bit extra cap space. You still have probably a need up front somewhere. You imagine there was still another shoe that was going to drop and it didn't, which I think immediately people were kind of disappointed by it. Then I think you kind of take a step back and you kind of one assess uh, the most important thing, which is one, the Bruins got a lot better uh, post deadline, but also I think it, you look at the market and the way it was and what guys were going for. And I think probably the, the biggest thing for me was, would they have loved to add a forward? Yes, of course. And they were clearly looking for uh, guys to add. And especially 
the Bruins, their whole, I think, mentality right now is just acquiring guys with term because I think for them the biggest thing is obviously they want to go for it this year. I mean, you don't know how many more kicks of the can you have with uh, Patrice Bergeron kind of as your franchise guy, but they also want to acquire guys that you can maybe not be the next franchise guys, but help bridge that gap, right? Like you still have a solid core of guys in the years ahead with McAvoy and Pasternak and all these guys, but whether it's a guy like Lindholm who you, you acquire and you have him locked in long-term or it's why you look at a guy like Tomas Hurdle as to why they were interested in him, which again, you'd have to pay up to get him, but you sign him long-term, it makes sense. A guy like Connor Gowland, who you sign him, he's locked in to be a top six guy for foreseeable future. Problem was, none of those guys were really out there, right? Like, Tomas Hurdle signs, what are you going to do there? Vancouver doesn't move any of their guys. So uh, it's one of those things where people are bummed that they missed out on a guy like Raquel or Cop or, or one of those guys. But I think you're only, you should be upset if you, you know, a guy like Hurdle goes to the Rangers or, you know, Garland goes to Carolina or something like that. Like that didn't happen. Like the market wasn't conducive to what the Bruins were looking to acquire in terms of those guys. So uh, I think when you take a step back and you look at, especially what a guy like cop went for a guy like Raquel went for and what the Bruins were, you know, willing to set as their asking price for these guys. The fact that you improve, you get a guy in Lindholm who helps you out. You have him locked in for foreseeable future. And you also didn't give up extra, draft capital. You still have Lori and Lysel that can build in the system. And who knows, maybe they move those guys this off season, what have you, but at least you didn't like give up too much for a guy. Like let's say Raquel, who seems really set on going to market and have to juggle that of what you're going to do uh, this off season. So I, I think it definitely, the deadline, you take a step back and let it process a little bit. Um, they're definitely a much better team. And I'm, pr- I think people should be happy with the fact that they didn't, you know, splurge for a forward for the sake of doing it when I'm not sure if the guys that were even out there were going to move the needle all that much. I like it. Kat, any thoughts? Uh, not, not a ton. I know that I, I think trade deadline weekend was the weekend that I was driving back and forth to California. So I wasn't able to keep an eye on what was happening quite as much. Um, I'd been kind of keeping an eye out to see if the Bruins were going to going to pull the trigger on Jacob Chikrin. Um, which I think the Coyotes, it, it almost hurt the Bruins a little bit that the Coyotes hit their upswing at just the wrong time in terms of wanting to move some of those guys. I think they, they Bill Armstrong's kind of been looking at who, who was going to continue working together for the foreseeable future in Arizona that they could keep together and who they really wanted to sort of clear out to make room for younger guys coming up and and I think the team started to click at just the wrong moment. And they were like, oh, I guess we'll guess we'll hold on to these guys unless someone offers us something we just can't refuse. And the Bruins very clearly weren't interested in gambling away their future because they need to get they they need to acquire some more of those, like you said, those up and coming franchise guys. So I think they weren't really willing to part with any grade A assets to to pick up Chikrin which I thought would have been kind of fun to watch because I think he's one of the better young defensemen on a, like you said, those, those guys that are on term uh, for, for affordable deals. I think he would have been a fun ad um, would have wanted to see him go to another team that I would enjoy watching. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. It felt like the market was, I thought there was going to be more movement than there was. And I think a lot of teams like, like Vancouver, they have a ton of young guys who 
that team has to do something at some point. Uh, it seems like they're just not getting it and they held on to everyone instead. And that was, you know, that's a choice. Good for them. Um, <laughs> would have been fun to see Connor Garland go, go to the East coast. Um, Cause I think he's being a little, little underserved where he is, but by a little, I mean a lot, but I, yeah, I, I think there were, there were a lot of guys that could have been really good pickups that those teams just weren't interested in moving out pieces at the moment. They sort of moved into wait and see mode at just the wrong time. And it is what it is. I think the Bruins didn't get any worse. That's nice. Um, That's always important. Yeah. There, there are always teams that come away from the trade deadline and you're like, what did you do there? And I think they, they avoided that, which is nice. They didn't pull the trigger on anyone too stupid although i know some people don't love contracts that were that were brought in and oh, i'm not gonna have a repeat <laughs> argument we're not gonna we're not gonna bring that back in. we're gonna circle, circle the wagons there i was gonna jump off of something but else you said but <laughs> go for it um yeah i mean i i think the big thing was you know looking at the forward lines and and seeing what other guys like like connor mentioned ricard raquel was a guy that people wanted and I don't think he's that much of an upgrade over Jake DeBrusque to the point where you're wanting to give up a guy like Lysel. Um, and the Bruins don't have that much in terms of, you know, trade bait to to dangle for teams where a, a lot of teams have a, a deep prospect pool to deal from, a deep pool of draft capital. The Bruins are usually dealing from late first round picks, late second round picks. Um, so, a lot of the packages they can offer just aren't as attractive as other teams can. And, it, you know, it also comes down to guys with no move clauses that, you know, not everybody wants to play in Boston as hard as it is to tell Boston fans that. Um, but I don't know. I'm, I'm looking at the, I'm looking at the expected goals charts for the, the lines used most often in Boston and the DeBrusque Bergeron Marchand line is 73.7 expected goals for it's the, the highest of any line that they've used on the team all year. So I, I think if you're looking to upgrade the right wing on the top line, like cool, that's something you could have done, but I don't think it kills the team that they didn't do that. Um, I, you could look at the second line center fine. Didn't, it wasn't a thing you needed to do. And I think giving up just to make a trade for the sake of making a trade, giving up actual possible like good NHL players in the future or possible trade bait in the future wouldn't have been smart. I don't know. I feel like, uh, like we always talk about DeBrus being really streaky and stuff and that's just kind of how he's been throughout his career. But I feel like Rick Hell is kind too. Of like, yeah. And given your like tempered expectations of what you want out of DeBrusque, I feel like he's honestly having like a pretty good season for what you expect out of him now. I mean, obviously like, you know, his second year in his career, whatever, he put up 27 goals. I don't think we're seeing that too much, but he's at 32 he also shot points. like 23% or something like yeah. that. So <laughs> Exactly. Like, he's at 19 goals, which matches his career second high. We still got 19 games to play, and he's going to be up closer to probably 30, you know, I think around 40 points, hopefully, whether he stays on that first line. So, I mean, obviously, he's not like burning Barnes down or anything, but I feel like kind of like you said, I don't know if trading him away for a similar player just, and, you know, adding something to that package, is going to really be beneficial to the team short-term, let alone long-term. So I'm fine holding on to him and, you know, you can feel it out this off season, but um, especially with the, 
the way he's been playing on, you know, a, a better line, I feel like it's working. So, you know, I, again, it's, it's always like a little asterisk with him because he is so streaky. So we'll see, you know, three weeks from now when things really start to matter, if it's still like that. But right now I've, I've been pretty happy with how he's been playing the last couple of weeks. So if he can get hot at the right time, you know, why not? Yeah. I think, um, in terms of like the, the Bruins trade ships were really in, in terms of players, Vakaninen and, um, and DeBrusque. And I think when you see them flip Vakaninen, you know, a young up and coming defenseman for uh, an already proven defenseman, like then with Jake DeBrusque, it's different. Like we, you've got a good sample size of what he's capable of. And so I, how are you going to package DeBrusque with, as you mentioned, Chris, it's often late first round picks, late second round picks for another forward who is, who is better. Like it, it, you know what you're getting with DeBrusque already. I think Vakaninen has that um, extra value with that untapped potential uh, potentially there. Um, also, I hope Jake DeBrusque never leaves Boston because he became one of my favorite players on Saturday. <laughs> yeah, let's hear about that, Drew. Want to share? So remember your, uh, when we were you guys at, are besties now? Did you text we, each other? So remember when we were on? asked when we were asked uh, what Bruins player we'd most like to get stoned with? Uh, that became Jake DeBrusque <laughs> on Saturday. Um, and I want to see that. how this lines up with your experience. <laughs> has that ever been a question, or is that just something that goes through you... your head a lot? Like, I, yeah, I was... who else has asked that? <laughs> I mean, I, I think I... Jeremy Swayman was the original answer. Yeah, I mean, I'd still love that's, that. That's a valid but, answer. Um, pasta also was it was a good answer, but um, so <laughs> Jake DeBrusque said three sentences in my ten second exchange with him. So first, we just we were at. TD watching the game because uh, my family's charity who we've mentioned who partnered with the Boston Bruins Foundation Taylor Hall had a caregivers night and we got tickets for a bunch of caregivers uh, of people with Alzheimer's and they got to experience that which is great Um, and so it was late after we stayed in the suite for about like an hour after the game which I don't know if that's allowed but we did it Um, and we're walking past um, Jaffe uh, Dale Arnold and Andrew Raycroft who were doing the post-game show and Sweet. people in our suite waved to them like 10,000 times because you can just look over the balcony and see them so they were fed up with us at this point so I didn't even <laughs> fucking look their way um, yeah, so Jaffe's not coming out again no no I probably sketched them out by uh, by taking a photo of them without them knowing and then uh, <laughs> them. Um, anyway <laughs> that's another story for another time it tends to have that not. um so we see jake debrusque it's me my cousins my dad my uncle we see jake debrusque suddenly walking in his suit and we're like oh hey jake he's and we shake his hand he's like hey guys have you seen anyone else like as if we're like a group of friends at a party and we can't find the rest <laughs> of our group of friends at a party it's like an, it's like an escape room yeah. like, <laughs> so i look around and you know there's jaffe and dale and them and then there's like a couple other fans like way down the hallway and so we just kind of look around and then he goes he looks at where jaffe and them are it's like oh there's the broadcast booth (laughs) sorry i was a little lost (laughs) and then kept walking 
And that was my experience with Jake. No wonder the guy wants were, to leave Boston, dude. Garden. He can't find his way around the fucking garden. Titty garden. <laughs> Titty garden. Requested a trade because I cannot navigate these hallways. <laughs> Every time he gets out of the fucking uh, out of the locker room, it's like the the weekend meme from the Super Bowl halftime show. <laughs> yeah, Connor got famous on Connor on the podcast. My assumption was that he was like looking for someone in a suite, like he had family or friends or something. But I just thought it was hilarious. Like it really felt like. Oh, we're your group of friends, and you can't find our other friends. Like, hey, have you seen anyone else? And have I seen anyone else? How about the ten people around us, including the Nesson staff? The only thing missing from that was him being being like, "Oh, hey, Drew, what's up, man?" Yeah. Yeah. Hey, it's Drew from the Bruce and Bruins podcast. What's up, man? Later, I I wish like, and I also am happy that I didn't ask for a photo or anything. Cause I didn't want to like annoy him. Like it's 1130 PM. <laughs> the guy's lost for Christ's sake. Yeah. So, <laughs> he's already, he's already having an ordeal on his plate right now, but that also sounds like most Jake DeRusk interactions who yeah. is a true gem. Yeah. Like, Jake's a great guy. Yeah. He does seem like, I mean, you know, I have it. I'm not best friends. Like, like Drew is with him, but right. um, I feel like that's a, one of the things for me too. That's like uh, definitely cool with him sticking around for now. Cause he is a likable player. Like he's somebody that, despite how streaky he has been, is really easy to root for when he's doing well. So I feel like he's a personality that's easy to get behind. Yeah, I'm a little mad that you don't introduce yourself as Drew Johnson from the Bruins and Bruins podcast. When you're at <laughs> yeah, <I> <laughs> Bruins and that's good. No, I think also like with, with Jake too, that, you know, for a guy who's, been very candid and upfront about like how just difficult the last couple of seasons are for him because he's a guy who's always very social always like being out and about like you know he's been very you know candid about just how difficult it was whether it being like cooped up in his apartment or kind of the struggles of playing time getting bumped out of the the top six all those things like even though right now where they're in this very well could be a scenario that's super awkward i mean this trade request has been out there since last summer like the fact that uh, you know, a guy like him hasn't, you know, there's no issues in terms of being in the room. All, all the, all of his teammates love him. Um, the fact that he's kind of seeing the, the forest for the trees in terms of, you know, buying in this year and, you know, they revisit it in the summer and, you know, he realizes that I think he's in the best possible spot that he's in right now. And he's producing uh, if you're the brusque, if you're the Bruins, you can't really ask for anything else. Right. Because if, he continues to play well and he gets moved and he gets a clean slate somewhere else and the Bruins get a good return because he's playing well, then everyone benefits. So it's all being considered, this could be a very, very awkward uh, situation um, as like a year long kind of distraction and really kind of hasn't been that much in terms of just the buy-in from him and the team, especially. Yeah. That speaks volumes like... about him in the locker room. I feel yeah. like because yeah. oftentimes, even if they, you know, even if they're a good sport about it, that can, that can make it hard to just find that that instant chemistry when, especially when the lines are being kind of shimmied around like that. Everyone knows that you're ideally hoping to get a fresh start somewhere else, and that every move you make on the ice could potentially be showcasing what what someone else could get you for. And it seems like, at least the games I've watched, like that's not really happening. It seems like everyone's still just having a ball with him out there, which is great. I'm really yeah, looking forward to, to the offseason uh, discourse about who who the Bruins could get for Jacob oh, Rusk yeah. after this successful season he's yeah. had. If he I'll goes give on me, a, year in the a whole week too. of the summer, that's like yeah. a whole week of offseason content, Chris. Yeah, yeah. There's going to be at least 
three days of it though that are them asking for a Coyotes forward that yes. is doing slightly better than Jake DeBrus, but n- not wanting to give up a draft pick as well for it. They just yeah. want a direct swap. I want well, the like very two overtime goal. Very couple game winners in the postseason, and we're gonna be getting like Leon Draisaitl trade requests coming on soon here. It's gonna be sweet. <laughs> I can't wait for it. Um, it, I, I do. Want, I want to go back to. I have, I'm curious. Like I and I want to preface this by saying me and I, I'm pretty sure Chris would get behind this. Really likes Lindholm as a player. I'm I like Hampus. I like what I've seen out of him. Chris, do you agree? Yes, I, I do want to go back to this trade, like because because initially when it happened, Chris and I were like, "Hey, I like the guy. I like what he can bring the next four, five, six years, maybe eight years." Does seem a little long. I'm curious, like Connor and Cat, whether you guys are, you know, if it's just the that's the business and you got to pay the beast sometimes, or you know, whether you share any any concerns about maybe signing a guy who's who's his age to that kind of term. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you want do you want to lead off, Cat? I mean, I the first thing I think I said when because I was I think I was driving back from San Diego and Chris texted me and he's like, "Oh, they just." That was a really long deal. And all I could think about was Dennis Seidenberg. Um, when you sign guys just a few years too far beyond the start of their decline. Um, I think at some point the game has changed just enough in terms of cap space, though, that we almost don't even need to look at those last few years as much anymore because that's trade currency now. I think as long as you assume he's going to be what's advertised for four to six years of that eight year deal, you have two years that you can trade him to a rebuilding team that, I mean, it was the Florida Panthers and the Coyotes right now. It's uh, I mean, it's been the devils. It's been the Ottawa senators, these teams that are rebuilding to the point where they're cleaning house enough that they need to hit the cap floor. And those are the guys that you ship to them and you send a prospect or a pick with it. Uh, and, and there you go. And so I don't think those last few years are, as bad as they were before that became a almost a normal occurrence. I feel like each off season we've seen teams do that more and more. So I'm not as worried about those last few years of the deal anymore. Uh, That being said, Anaheim played some pretty, pretty heavy hockey there for a bit. And I, I'd be a little worried about injury for sure. I mean, he was, he was injured for long enough and took long enough to get his legs back underneath him that I think another potential major injury in year two or three of the deal accelerates his his timeline that that drop-off curve um oh man cam and i were saying this exact thing <laughs> it's almost i promise i, I was really hoping for a different answer you know? in the like, last week and a half uh connor curious if you know off the top of your head what the no move condition is on that deal I think um, it's. I don't, I don't have. Captain I think it's all kicked in all all the years, right? I, I'd have to look at it again, yeah. but I think he's got some sort of protection, whether it's like no move, no trade. I think there's something in place every single year. I don't think there's any thing that like, kicks in differently, but I believe he's covered pretty much the entire term of the contract. So, uh, so he not, has to, he has control over where yeah. he goes if he goes. Yeah, he's fine. And I mean, I, going off kind of what 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 Kat said, like I think it's also one of those things where. Obviously, it would have been a lot better if it was five years, six year. It's almost like the David Backus contract where they announced that and it was like a one year deal. And you're like, oh, okay, oh, all right, this is good. And then they announced it later, it's five. You're like, shit. Uh, uh, 
So I don't. Hopefully, it's not like that where it gets to the point where it's you know you can't even play him or you know he's dealing with injuries or what have you. But if you're looking at you know year six, seven of that deal, um, at that point, that's a situation when you kick further down the line if he gives you four or five years of being a very good you know top four defenseman and you can deal with it then where. Who knows what the cap ceiling is at that point? Who knows if maybe the Bruins going to go up like forty five million? So we're good. <laughs> yeah, so, like give me that. Who knows? The Bruins finally Unchecked hit on like prosperity coming in. Yeah, like I <laughs> like twenty twenty eight twenty nine. Who knows? They hit on like a bunch of different draft guys and they have guys on like entry level deals and like a lot can happen. Or they could be completely screwed at that point. But we'll kick it further down the line, right? But I, I yeah. think definitely it's the the injury concern and those things that are the, the biggest issue with him. Um, Cause uh, as you said, he's got an injury history before he's not like a, a bruising guy, which I remember the, the first, uh, the first game they played with him in the lineup, we were walking by the rafters and there was this one Bruins fan. It was right after they won. And he was arguing with his friend and one of his friends, like, Oh uh, yeah. You know, Hamp, this new guy, they got, I heard about him. He's a fucking bruiser. And I'm like, <laughs> uh, I don't think so. And the other they guy was came like, from the West Coast, they're like, yeah, it's hot. Yeah. <laughs> and then, the, and then the other guy countered by being like, I didn't even notice him. Which, like, he was great in that first game. So I like left that interaction. Right there, I yeah, it. I left that interaction just being so pissed at like both he, of them. Not, like, not was, only, not only was he great offensively, but he also like contributed defensively in some like very significant awesome. yeah. Yeah. and and he also got david Pos almost got david Pasternak killed in, in the neutral zone exactly, at one point yes. so like you gotta have noticed him you would think so yeah but i, I guess, that, I guess I if you that... drop 56 dollars on bud lights at the garden <laughs> yeah. you know. yes i, so I love that interaction know. just losing faith in this entire <laughs> fan base but again yeah i think that's the biggest thing though is that just the amount of reps that he has again he's i don't think he's a guy that's going to be bowling guys over but do you obviously run that risk with any of those guys that who take a lot of minutes take a lot of taxing uh assignments that those things can add up over the span of a long season so you hope that it's uh, a long contract where even if it's somewhat of a decline as expected uh it's more of a gradual one as opposed to injuries or anything else that really derails kind of i think what their long-term vision is which is get four or five hopefully six really good years out of him and then you kick that problem a little bit further down the line I think it helps that, I mean, he's coming from Anaheim, right? Where that's a, yep, go right ahead. <laughs> My drink has been stolen. Um, I mean, Anaheim played a, they played a weird kind of defense that seemed like it was almost unnecessarily labor intensive. Um, they allowed a lot of shots, but they allowed a lot of shots from a consistent set of spots. So John Gibson would face 40 shots a night. And when the team was was rolling effectively and when they had everyone healthy, those 40 shots didn't require a lot of work from him. He knew where they were coming from. There weren't a lot of screens. It was it was a pretty it was controlled chaos. Um, but it seemed like it was a lot of work for for their defensive core and their were a lot of heavy minutes for their top guys because they had some guys farther down the lineup who who were rotating in and out for for injury and their older guys on essentially on their forward lines left a lot of legwork to be picked up by their defensive core damn if and only I, they hadn't just like given up shake theodore <laughs> <laughs> not the only thing they just gave up um but i think Boston's I mean they have some some areas that they need to tweak certainly 
in their forward lineup, but that's an easier team to play for across the board than Anaheim has been for, I'd say, the last two to three years. And even though there's that injury concern at his age and with his injury history, you're, you're still coming to a team where even on in a top pairing, you're not, you're not working quite as, as hard for as long each game you're, you're playing almost in a more efficient system. And so that's a, that's a bright spot. I think I'm, I'm here to fill the glass half full. I just, so you can I just appreciate, I just appreciate that we've become a Boston pride and Hampus Lindholm podcast. Yeah. <laughs> we should get those two um, other guys that I was talking about on the pod. Yeah. And no. beat them. Yeah. <laughs> um, them beating the shit out of each other with fucking Sam Adams bottles afterwards. I like to imagine that that interaction ended by them. Like, you know, in Step Brothers, when they beat each other over the head with like the baseball at the same yes. time, it was that, but it was just a bottle of like Boston Lagers. Yes, I'm burying you. <laughs> this is your um, fault. <laughs> there should be a fan segment where you guys bring on just a random fan duo We've done you it. pick up at the game. <laughs> yeah, no, we pick right. up at the game, not off Twitter. No, yeah, like after eight blood licenses, fucking Raptors, just yeah, find like, him at the game. We should we call it like animals five to ten minutes, like creature raptor creatures or something. You know. <laughs> 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 Raptor um, creatures. That's our. That's, that's, that's our. Episode, yeah, that's man. our breakout <laughs> podcast. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Listener questions are coming up in just a second, but first, the Prison Burns podcast is brought to you by DraftKings. Two titles are up for grabs on the stacked UFC 273 fight card. Join the action with DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of UFC. New customers can bet just $5 on any fighter and get $100 in free bets, win or lose, guaranteed. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state, you can still get in on the excitement. Everyone can play for a share of millions in prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy MMA contests. Draft your lineup of fighters while staying under the salary cap and rack up points for strikes, takedowns, and more. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN. Throw down $5 on UFC 273 and get $100 in free bets no matter what. That's code THPN this Saturday at DraftKings Sportsbook. The official sports betting partner of UFC. 21 plus restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Great. <laughs> Wasn't that a fantastic DraftKings read, guys? Man, uh, great job, Cam. Just thank you. Uh, copy, and, copy and paste the Patrick Laverty one. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so, hey, first question, ironically, from Patrick Laverty. How will you define <laughs> this season as a success or failure? That I will define it as a my, failure. Uh, my floor season or floor ceiling thing that we got to yeah skip, exactly yeah. Kind of <laughs> that works. Yeah, yeah so we want the default or anything else to I, I don't know i feel like really like i don't know i don't want to like the last couple of weeks have been kind of interesting because like you know what is it 20 16 16 wins the last 20 and it's like a fucking 800 point percentage or something like that i'm not a math guy um but obviously like when when they're rolling we're seeing what this team's capable of right so I don't want to sell them too short, but I also, you know, you got to look at the whole body work and obviously post deadline is a little bit of your team, but um, you kind of see those like post deadline heaters from, from teams that buy sometimes. So I don't know if it's, it's fair to assume that picks up, but I think like beginning of the season and, and through like the first half, we were probably saying like, this is a wild card team, you know what I mean? A round or two. I think this team can push into, I think I, I think it's a disappointment if they lose in the first round at this point. I'm not sure that was the case three months ago. I think it was you know probably about where they were. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they had won then, but 
I think at this point, like if you win two rounds in the playoffs, I think I'm I'm pretty happy with how it went. Obviously, you know, you want to win a championship, but based on what you have, I think if they can push to a conference final, it'd be pretty impressive. Who knows what happens when you get there? But I think at this point, a first round exit would be a, a bit of a disappointment. Um. Yeah. Uh, all right. Unless there's anything else. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, 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 you I, I think at this point, I think at this point, if we're we're not a rebuilding team here. Boston, I guess we're not going to be Boston here in Arizona. Uh, Over there, there in Boston, you are yeah. not a rebuilding team. <laughs> uh, yeah, the Bruins are not a rebuilding team. So uh, I think anything, a team that is expected to make the playoffs, if they don't win the Stanley Cup, it's not necessarily a success. I wouldn't call anything less than a success a failure, but it, it's it's not a, it's not, not everything not is, not everything is a binary. We're not Ricky Bobby here. Um, but I mean, it's been since 2011. I, we get a little impatient as Bruins fans. Um, I know there are a lot of teams that have gone a lot longer without winning, but you know, it, it seems like it's been a long time. And when the when it feels like the window is closing, this uh, you know, it's it's got to be a winner. No one's gonna be happy. Yeah. I think it's also so tough to gauge like this season especially like the expectations of, of what you're looking uh, for this team to do just because I, I agree like with cam where it's like yeah i think what would probably make people happy is you know you win two rounds and then whatever happens happens but you also look at just the way this playoff bracket is kind of forming and how many great teams there are like the bruins could draw florida or carolina another great team and lose in a hot fought contest and i'm sure plenty of people would be like well, that sucked. That was a letdown. It's like, all right, well, you also drew like a really, really good team. Like you win the first two rounds and let's say you beat Carolina and Tampa or, or something like that. Then you're probably looking at it and be like, well, it's a disappointment if they don't win the whole thing. Cause they probably got through the, at least what you expect yeah. is the toughest part of it. Like it's so tough to, with just how stacked, especially the East is this year, that there's so many good teams that this team could very well, you know, grind it out and get through a couple rounds or if they lose in the first round, and it's almost like you kind of have to do like the shoulder shrug, right, of, of what you're looking for. Because sometimes it just has to do with uh, just how the rest of the bracket is. The same thing with 2019, where you look at that and you look at how good Tampa was. And all of a sudden, this path opened up for them. Uh, so it, it's tough because, as, as you know, Chris said, that it's, it's people are cognizant about the fact that the window is closing, that people obviously would like them to win a Stanley Cup. No shit. But like also, it, it's one of those things where, uh, just the rest of the field is so tough to map out kind of what constitutes a good season when there's so many good teams in the East. Yeah, that is a good point. A lot of it depends on what happens elsewhere in the first round. If they survive, you know what I mean? You see one of those top teams get knocked out and all of a sudden you're like, shit, you know what I mean? And maybe they play, you know, who, I don't know, head-to-head records, but it's like, oh, the Bruins won three out of four against this team. They're playing in the second round. Like that changes things a lot, so. Yeah. Unless they lose to Toronto. If they lose to Toronto in the first it's, round, yeah, then that will be, no I will be off Twitter for a year. Probably so. be out of New England for a little bit. Yeah, I, I, it will be bad. I have uh, w- one question here that I want to ask while Chris uh, and Kat, well, it's just Chris right now. While Chris yeah, is just... present. Um, DF Pendris asked three questions. His second one is, who is the next most likely hockey expert to become a guest via cohabitation and uh, for those not familiar with the term according to cambridge english dictionary cohabitation is the act of living and having a sexual relationship with someone especially someone you're not (laughs) married to 
Um, and uh, <laughs> for an example in a sentence, cohabitation has been praised as a test drive for marriage. <laughs> Again, according to the Cambridge English Dictionary. Um, so I, I don't know about hockey expert. I don't think I would classify Julia or Lauren as a hockey expert, right, Cam? Unless I'm, I'm wrong about... No, nah, she's there. from Pittsburgh, but you know, I think you know what, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I was, my best thing is Julius from Chicago. Like, I don't know. <laughs> it's honestly better that Cat's not around for this one. This uh, so I have a really great answer for this, and you know what? What I would say. Is... <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, I knew that. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. Uh, all right. Well, how <laughs> the next one? <laughs> uh, the uh, first one from DF Pendris is what should be the next Bruins food related product? So we oh. got the uh, Marshy cereal there and the pasta stop the <laughs> shop brand pasta. I still can't get over the fact that Marshan called it cinnamon toast crunch in his fucking. <laughs> <laughs> that, I mean, I could tell that clearly, like what the pitch meeting was with like him yeah. and his people it was definitely yeah. like, I just want the cinnamon toast crunch. Get me the closest yeah. possible thing. The cinnamon toast crunch. It's uh, like, well, we have our own. No, like I want. The, I would like, rather just have cinnamon toast crunch. Yeah, just slap my lo- like, head on like, yes. a couple of fucking little cinnamon yes. guys, and you'll be good. Like, uh, uh, fuck, I don't know. Like, so they got the they got the beer too. You know, we got like the Wags beer, yeah. which yep. I don't know if they're like outsourced at the Providence now, but maybe. Um, <laughs> we got the the Martian toast crunch. We got uh, the pasta pasta. pasta. <laughs> I, I think uh, Bergy Burgers. Bergy burgers. No, I don't think I don't, I don't think Bergy's the kind of guy who would like sign a deal like that. I, I that's just the yeah. vibe I get. But when you have pasta and Marshy doing it, like, come on. What about yeah. like oh I don't know he doesn't have like this the pull really but like we, obviously Nick Felino with candy corn like I was surprised yeah. when they had his his one thousand game they didn't like just throw candy corn at him that would have been a yeah that'd be a good one like you have to do that seasonal you think he sticks around until it's very you know, it's extremely stale candy corn <laughs> <laughs> I like that, yeah. uh, that I feel like that, Sway yeah. could have something I don't know what. Like he's big, like though. big, like outdoorsman, like a big, yeah, like, like sways fish, fresh like Alaskan jerky, trout, like beef jerky or something, <laughs> yeah, like, like sway strips, and it's just like sway beef jerky. souffle, yeah, sway schmeat, and then you <laughs> sway souffle, dude, just do the sway souffle, that'll work. I yes. Like <laughs> um, uh, last from oh, unless you have any any other ideas out there. No, I think I think we yeah. hit the peak with with <laughs> sway souffle. I can't even say souffle. Sway souffle. Yeah. Um, third one from DF Pendris is why are like seventeen people involved with either the show or the Bruins named Cam, and a grand total of seventeen other people total worldwide are named Cam. <laughs> uh, oh, my dad named me after Cam Neely, so I you can thank him for that one. And- and we have uh, we verified we verified with the rest of the cams that have been on the podcast, and they're all yeah, named yeah, after Cam was, Neely. So it's not. Oh, I guess because yeah, uh, they're all me. actually yeah. secretly Cam Neely's kids, but we don't need to talk about that. Yeah, it's um, fine. That's another episode. <laughs> yeah, um, we got more. Next, next questions from I'm gonna say Sean Rajatate because I always pronounce it wrong. I like to say Rajot. Is it Rajot? I think it's Rajot. Rashad is what we determined, yeah. Oh, yeah. Rashad, he scores! Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> does Mark McMuffin McLaughlin have a spot in the lineup going forward? His first game made it seem that way, but where would he slot in? Mm. Probably uh, not, really. Third, yeah. if anything, depth. Like, I think I think you have an injury there, and then he, he's your 
go to on that third pair if you need, or you yeah. know, Connor Clifton, Mike Riley, and Josh Brown are all struggling or something. <laughs> I think it's one of those ones where, yeah, he'll be kind of like a bottom six uh, depth guy. And who knows, maybe once you get to the playoffs and let's say that fourth line is going stagnant, maybe you, you slot him in there because kind of what made him such a a coveted kind of collegiate free agent guy was the fact that he's already got a pretty solid, refined, like two-way game. But he also has a pretty nasty shot. Like it wasn't even yeah. just the, the goal. He had another shot that like caught Gillies off guy that almost went in for his second goal of the game. Like he's got – not to say he's going to be a 20, 25 goal scorer, but I think you look at kind of his long-term projection, um, you know, it, it probably is going to piss off Bruins fans. But if you look at this team two, three years down the road, and let's say your bottom six, you've got Coyle at 3C, Frederick on that third line, uh, if he's playing well, Beecher like as like your 4C, which again, people don't want to talk about that because like Beecher, yeah. you hear first round pick, but like floor wise, if like Johnny Beecher is, a souped up, like more physical Sean Corrali, like mm-hmm. there's value in that. Like, again, who knows? Maybe he's better, which would be great. But if that's your floor, you still got a pretty solid player for what his role is. So mm-hmm. is your fourth line's him and a guy like McLaughlin, who I think um, can play just kind of that solid two-way game, but also maybe can have a little bit more of a scoring pop. Um, like I, I view like McLaughlin right now as like a depth piece, but I think next year when Lazar probably – gets a nice contract somewhere else. Like he could be a guy that could slot in on that right wing and be a guy that could give you 10 goals maybe and solid kind of just that two way game that I think has kind of been his, his bread and butter at BC. Yeah. I mean, same thing. I think like it was seen him slot in score, you know, at home in front of all his people. It was one of those, like, yeah, that was fucking awesome. Stoked that happened. Like, cool. We'll check on you. You know what I mean? Next fall. And like, we'll, we'll see unless, you know, barring injury or something. I, I don't hate the idea of like, you know what I mean? You get a couple quiet games out of the fourth line, like you said, throw them in the playoffs for a game and see if he can catch a little fire. Like, um, but yeah, it was just one of those, like, that was sweet. You know, I, I don't know too much about the guy, but obviously that was pretty awesome. And you know, who knows? We'll see him in a couple months and hopefully he's got a spot or, you know, could fight for one at least at the very least, yeah. in, you know, next season training camp, that kind of thing. So yeah. he's a BC think- guy. So no one's perfect, but yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think just one thing you said, Connor, about it, it, it's not even about McLaughlin, about Beecher being a first, and Bruins fans don't want to hear that. I mean, Frederick was also a first-round pick, and I think when you hear a first-round pick, you think, uh, like, this guy could be a superstar, but I think it's also about longevity. If you have a guy that's going to plug that role, that fourth-line, third-line role, for about half his career or so, yeah. say, like, that, I feel like that's worth a first-round pick, especially a late first-round pick. Yeah, like, I, you look at even, like, I think Lazar was, what, like, a I think he was drafted 13th overall. Wasn't Riley Nash, like, a top, like, 15, like, pick or something? I think so, year? yeah. And, like, oh, but, so, again, like, if you have guys like that who, and, again, who knows, maybe Beecher, like, his game translates more of the pros, but if you just map out, I think, his floor, that's what he kind of reminds me of. It's just kind of, like, a more, like, a more pissed-off Corrali. yeah. Again, like you look at just how impactful Crowley was, especially maybe like in 2018, 19, that kind of stretch there. I mean, uh, Crowley, when he came back from injury during that cup run in 2019, he like changed like a significant amount of that series against Toronto, just in terms of kind of what his blend of speed and he's got size and uh, how he impacts the team. So uh, he's a guy that, even though I think probably his stock, Beecher, isn't as high as probably a lot of Bruins fans expected. I'm curious to see just how he kind of fits in because I think he could have out a pretty defined role pretty soon in terms of just what his talents are and how it could translate to the pros, especially. 
Yeah, I feel like he's the type of player for like if if you're trying to sell a you know a bottom six guy to Boston, that's the play style that's that a lot of fans yeah. are going to be okay with. You know, for better or for worse. But when in doubt, like play your first game and like crack a guy and then get into a fight and you'll yeah. be upset. Like and it's like, like at least three Josh, weeks. Josh Brown yeah. like knew what to do and he's like, I'm gonna I'm gonna fight a guy in the first game. Like yeah. that's all you got to do, and you've got like a year and a half. Anyway, like, <laughs> yeah, you're tough. Like like Frederick kind of struggled to find his game a little bit after that first, you know, kind of stretch there, but he was fine because he had, you know, he punched uh, Brennan Tanev multiple times in the face and it gave him like <laughs> so a little bit good. of time to find his game. So that's amazing. Um, sport. Last question here is from bear emoji Bruins coverage, bear emoji, AKA at Bruins coverage uh, underscore. Um, which team, and I like this question for the last part, uh, which team do you think has the best chance of playing against us in the first round, realistically speaking? Because I think they knew, like, one of us was going to make a joke like, like fucking Montreal. Or yeah. Um, so I really appreciate, like, I feel like they know our brand enough to have to emphasize that. Um, but yeah, what do you guys think? First round matchup for the Bruins. Man, it's so, it, like, it's, it's, it's so hard in that. Like, yeah. I mean, there's um, like, I, I, I feel like I feel it's like, gonna be fucking Toronto. I feel like it's gonna yeah. end up being that. You know what I mean? I don't know if that is really the most likely, but like, it just, it just feels like I don't know. We got Duke UNC. Let's get Bruins Toronto again in the first round. <laughs> like, you know. I also think it's the way that the teams are generally trending, and of course, it's fucking hockey, so it can change very quickly. But yeah. in terms of you know, Bruins and Toronto both playing really well, and it seems like Tampa's kind of stalled just a little bit. So. um Obviously, they're they're missing McDonough, and that impacts them quite a bit as well. So I could very well see it be switch off whatever one you want, like Boston, Toronto, and the two, three, or or what have you, and then Tampa maybe slides down to the wild card. Which I think, if you're the Bruins, again, you're trying to map out the easiest path out. There is no easy path out of especially that first and second round. Like it's going to be miserable either way. But yeah. if you play Toronto, who you hope you can beat, even though they've really kind of taken it to you in the regular season, but you play Toronto, who you got that history and then you have the two Florida teams beat the crap out of each other. You can kind of spin that into a positive or again, this could be the year that Toronto gets over the hump and ends the Bruins contention window and yeah. everything gets sad very quickly. Yeah, and I can't right. go on Twitter for five months. So it's that's like, if, if you ask me, what is the snare that maybe is the most realistic? I'd say that. Cause especially the, probably the second yeah. best scenario is going through the wild card and playing either Carolina, Florida, which don't really want to play Carolina. Yeah, Carolina scares me. I was about to say. I know yeah. we've, we've talked a lot about the Atlantic it's, and how dangerous it is. Carolina is the team out of the Metro yeah. that I, I would not be surprised yeah. if they made a run all the way this year. They're they, they're the they current matchup. The they're the yeah, current and, matchup you know. before tonight's game. They're the current matchup. Yeah, and they're they the history this season is not good. Yeah, uh, not that's great. not three, the same Carolina team that the Bruins knocked out and three nothing shutout. Uh, in October, seven to one win for this is for Carolina uh, in January, and then in February a six nothing win. Yeah, uh, yeah. So we see them one more. Do we? No, no, no. no. We don't see them one more that's time. It. I see. I hate that. That's probably another discussion. But like, play your division six times in, in your in your conference four. Oh, the, uh, for the love of God. But um, I, I, I'm sorry, not to no, go jump ahead. in. But uh, yeah, I think for Carolina too, it, it's tough too because all like the the argument as to why the Bruins could still handle Carolina is all like things looking too far in the past of like, well, we like own Freddie Anderson. Like, well, yeah, he's like really freaking good this year. Like he's got like a nine, five, 
I think it's even higher than that, like a nine seven save percentage against the Bruins. Yeah, I think he's only let up one goal. Right, yeah, it was like that one in the seven-one yeah. game. Um, it's like matchup-wise, like how aggressive they are on the forecheck, uh, how good they are on the PK. Like I feel like the Bruins really struggle, and you got a team that pressures really high, and Carolina's yeah. pros at that. So just from a pure matchup perspective, like yeah, they beat they've eliminated them in in twenty nineteen and twenty twenty up in the bubble. But look at this team and the way they match up and, and the the strains and how they play off one another. Carolina is a team that's going to give you trouble, I think. And, you know, it's – I think every draw the Bruins could get in that first round, they're probably viewed initially as an underdog. But in terms of which one is easiest to map out, I think it's still like Toronto or even Tampa, which I could probably eat my words at that point because yeah. Tampa could just go on a run. But, that's um, the thing, but – Yeah, it's I'm with it's you. I would, I would rather see Tampa than Carolina right now. Yeah. I like mm. I, Florida scares me probably the most because they look really complete. I think, but I, I don't know. I mean, Tampa like it's is hard because they they kick it on in the, in the postseason. And yeah, and thing, they, right? also but, Vasilevsky could like just get hot yeah. and win around, or he could be like out of gas, right? Like that's yeah. the two different things. But Fuck venture God. to guess <laughs> that yeah, it's venture to guess that he's probably gonna, still going to be really good. Like he can win. Their top six could run out of uh, firepower, and they could still have him frustrate you when steal a game or two in a seven game series right yeah. so yeah not fun <laughs> so, this is a nice ending note because mm. I, I, I <laughs> life is all we got um connor do you want to uh tell us where we can find you yes uh, <laughs> it sounds I a little will... creepy but social media Give us your address right now. Now. <laughs> but uh in terms of my content uh you can find it over at bostonsportschannel.com we have uh daily content running out uh in terms of game reports columns previews breakdowns all that good stuff we also have a couple of features in the work that uh we hope to roll out before we get to the playoffs and that kind of schedule kind of flips around so all that stuff will be over at BSJ. So please subscribe over at bostonsportschannel.com. Want to follow me on Twitter for my musings and really shitty memes. Uh, you can follow me at Connor Ryan underscore 93. It's Connor with one N by Connor Golland. Good, good note. Yeah. Hell Future yeah. Bruin, maybe not this year. <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh, Connor, always a pleasure, man. Thanks for, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me.